0: Welcome, 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 welcome to episode
1: 323 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Brian Levin. And I'm Marshall Bach. Welcome back to a very special episode of Design Details. We're in the same city, the same room, Brian. Five feet apart, crazy. It's been four months since we recorded
0: in person. We were quite a while in New York. Oh yeah yeah it's good to be good to be here. I've been in San Francisco this week and uh, we're getting to spend the weekend just chilling out, shooting shit, talking about design mm-hmm. which is what we're here for episode 323 <laughs> uh, We have a bunch of new supporters this week. y'all are the best. yes. last week we announced that we are simplifying our patreon model it is now one tier one dollar a month minimum pay what you want all supporters will have access to a sponsor free personal feed as well as access to all bonus land content we have one bonus land episode out now but more soon so some new supporters this week huge shout out to timothy hui Fai li Mina Balasubramaniam, Darren Soulsby, Sahil Shattervetti, Will. What's up, Will? I see your last name in your email, but I think it's private. Ronald Hoon, Kristen Schwartz, Cord Miller, Michael Gulliver, and Kevin Bennett. Oh my gosh. Thank you, everyone who jumped on board. If you would like to support the show, it helps offset the, the costs of making it and helps us keep producing this every single week, go to patreon.com slash design details. So thank you again, everybody. We also have support this week from our newly renamed tier, our Golden Ratio supporters. First up is Sisu. Sisu is looking for a thoughtful and data savvy designer to help build the next generation of analytics software. You can find out more at sisu.ai. That's S-I-S-U Also thank you to Flywheel. Flywheel is a delightfully designed, managed WordPress hosting platform thoughtfully built for busy creatives. Streamline your workflow with their Slick platform, a sweet set of workflow tools, perfectly made for designers. Get started at Get flywheel.com slash design details that's get flywheel.com slash design details so thank you flywheel thank you sisu and thank you everybody uh who's hopping on board that patreon train the train is rolling <laughs> yeah the train to
1: bonus land <laughs> the train to bonus
0: land is on its way hop choo on board choo Brian. choo choo. <laughs> choo choo nerds <laughs> all right so that was patreon we got a little bit of follow-up this week as well Y'all tweeted at us this week. Apparently, our first tweet comes from Pavel Sismenskiewicz. Pavel says, this type of design details episode is my favorite one, referring to episode 322 last week about designing app onboarding experiences. Glad you liked it. We also heard from Nathan Lindhall, who recommended Design Details FM, said it's more focused on product and career than on brand and creativity, but for sure, insightful conversations. Thank you, Nathan. We also heard from Manny, who was our question asker last week. Yes, Manny asked about designing onboarding and says, thank you guys for answering my question again. And Jesus Christ, there's a lot I need to take note for. It's like the dark mode episode all over again in a very good way, heart eyes emoji. So keep the questions coming, Manny. We will do our best. We also heard from Adam Carroll, said that he really enjoyed episode 322. Thanks, Adam. Sahil Shatervedi says, finally i'm a patreon supporter thanks for all the great content and genuinely useful information always just feels like i'm chatting with a couple buddies about Uh, design
1: thank you sir oh buddies making friends that's how i feel about this podcast too me too
0: just chatting with a bud we also heard from michael kneprath friend of the pod very important pixel longtime supporter question asker tweeter interactor michael says the tier change feels very good imo simple and welcoming so that was the hope yeah hopefully hopefully everyone else feels the same way all right and our final tweet this week comes from ming shun lee who says i just became a patron of design details fm the show was my mentor when i was the only designer at my first two jobs great to contribute a little bit to the show uh so ming shun we saw your support come through on patreon but your name was in chinese so i had no idea how i was going to pronounce it yes until we found your tweet so thanks for the mention glad we connected two and two and we confirmed that so all right follow up positive affirmations positive reinforcement thank you for the tweets we appreciate those much appreciate thank you so all much. all right we have a little bit of news this week this is self-serving hit me personal plug by the time you're listening last week was github universe and we got to launch a project that i worked on i worked Yay. on the uh the Congrats, iphone dude. and the android apps for github we have the iOS app is in mobile today, Android beta soon, and they'll
1: be both launching
0: in early 2020.
1: Not just an update, from scratch, never existed before. Fully native, new interactions, new navigation. Did you did you work on that at all, Brian? I did work on it. So it's so
0: nice to see it in the world. And I was listening to Layout layout is another podcast on the spec network and they had a little segment where they talked about it and made me feel so good they said it was simple and understandable and i think they liked it i didn't hear any obvious points of confusion or gripes so first impression seemed okay sweet that was the ios version Uh, android beta will hopefully also blow everyone away it's very exciting we've got great people uh, on the team that are making these possible so that's a self plug if you are using github uh you can go to github.com slash mobile and sign up for the beta i cannot help you get in yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't dm me
1: i love you i love you all but i cannot help regardless There's congratulations a thank my friend you. thank you it's a, a ton of work i'm sure and uh i'm proud of you
0: feels good to ship <laughs> yes always yes,
1: always especially something brand
0: new right all right let's get into this week's episode we have a topic that we're going to do our best to work through. It's a big topic. It's complicated. There's Many probably tendrils. no easy answers here. Mm-mm. But I wanted to talk about social proof and popularity and designing metrics and heuristics for understanding popularity in digital products. So think of Twitter likes, Instagram likes, Reddit upvotes, YouTube thumbs up. like. What are uh, view counts, follower counts, sub counts? What are the heuristics and numbers and algorithms doing to decide what is popular and what's not? And how should we be thinking about that? Those things as product designers who are building products to help people find great things on the internet and connect with things that are interesting to them. How do we think about that? in the context of creator health, broader social issues like teen anxiety, online bullying, really easy topics
1: for us to discuss. Yeah, we're just going to fly through this real quick. It's going to be a short episode today.
0: What could go wrong? (laughs) So going into this, I think we should say like, it's so broad. We're going to do our best, but we're probably going to miss some stuff. So as you're listening, please help us or keep in mind things that we might be missing. Tweet at us afterwards. We want to know more here. I guess I want to kick this off just with the news that came out this week, which was that Instagram is continuing to roll out their experiment, which is hiding like counts publicly on Instagram posts. And this week, they're starting to experiment with that in the US. And it looks like it might be a global rollout at some point where they're going to completely hide like counts from the public, but creators will still be able to see who's liking their posts. Mm -hmm.
1: So you just fill in that heart. And that's all you do. You don't see a number go up. Yeah. So From your point of view, like, what do you
0: think about this decision? If you were a product designer working on Instagram, if you had to sit in those shoes, what's the conversation happening behind the scenes of like, all right, maybe we should hide this thing that has been here since the beginning, but maybe it's not a good thing anymore.
1: Oh, no. Um, Speculate for me, Marshall. Okay. So what's, what was, what's the conversation that happens behind the scenes that that produces this type of experiment? Is that what you're asking? Sure. Yeah. I mean, we can speculate a little bit, right? And also they have
0: talked about like, we know there's some issues with
1: anxiety and we can talk about
0: posting culture and deleting and
1: Yeah, that would be the main place that my mind would go would be the prevalence of basically stress and anxiety due to the numbers that creators are looking at constantly and the competition that arises from that type of thing also the the discouraging numbers that can rise from from negative signals like that not just positive signals but negative ones so there might be some well-being uh, or creator well-being uh, in mind there it could also be Due to, like, I think you mentioned this uh, shortly, but the idea of I create a post and if it doesn't get a certain amount of likes within a certain amount of time, I'm embarrassed by that and it looks bad on me. It reflects poorly on my reputation, so I take it down so as not to make me look like a lamo who nobody likes, right? Right. Which, that seems more like a personal problem than a platform problem, but if they can discourage it by, like, changing just whether a number is visible or not to the public, then that's probably a good thing Win-win. you still get to say thumbs up and you get to know if something is popular or not, but you don't get the shame of it publicly. Right.
0: All right. So that sounds positive to me, right? I think reducing anxiety in general, reducing public pressure to like constantly be monitoring these counts, deciding whether or not you're going to delete something that you might have actually been excited about, but other people maybe are less excited about like, getting rid of that seems like a good thing. So what are the trade-offs here? Like immediately what comes to mind is social signal of what is good, right? Like we as humans want fast tracks to that dopamine hit. We want the path of least resistance. We want tools and, and apps to tell us or show us things that we think will be entertaining or good or fun, or connect with us in some way. And like counts are a shortcut to thinking, to, to knowing if that's going to be true, right? Like if you had the choice to look at two YouTube videos where one has a million views and one has 20, yeah, which one do you think you're going to naturally gravitate towards? Exactly. Right. So it can be a useful thing. These these counts exist for a reason. So yeah, I want to dig into how we balance these kinds of metrics uh maybe there's some alternatives as well Mm -hmm. like what are other ways of helping people find things that are useful that aren't just this raw like dumb number basically all right let's talk about models of we'll call this social proof like how do you tell people or indicate within a product what's popular or useful or trending so before this episode, we came up with a list of some different models that apps have. Marshall, I think you're going to be best at talking about
1: the models part here. Okay. Okay, so the first one that comes to mind for me is is the classic upboat downboat on Reddit, right? Where you have a negative down takes away a positive and they equalize and only the the difference between the two numbers is the the numbers that's shown, right? so things that are good go up and things that are bad go down and then you have similar models that have an upvote and a downvote like youtube but they aren't they don't negate one another right so you you have two separate counts and there's a ratio but they don't subtract from one another. And then uh, you have purely positive, right? So for example, uh, Twitter has just a like, and we can talk about the difference between favoriting and liking as we move forward, but that's just a single positive signal and a similar thing with with Instagram. But then you kind of have to take into account other things like comments and uh, retweets, replies, all those other signals. Do we want to talk about that right yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, let's okay. dig into it. So,
0: okay, so we'll call these like the raw count score, and some of them are purely additive, some are dual the youtube model and some are how would we describe the right one what what should we call it uh algebraic <laughs> <laughs> that sounds way smarter than it, it sounds probably like is like a smart but... way to say yeah to subtract a number <laughs> but there's uh, okay so those that's one count and then there's also other things like comment counts uh retweets and there's an important element as we're gauging what's useful or what we should spend more time reading in the ratio there, right? Mm-hmm. So, tell me about different ratios. In, well, in okay, let's
1: let's imagine, for example, a tweet that has a thousand likes, right? Right. There's it, it means something different if that tweet has a thousand likes and two comments or two replies right and and a thousand retweets right that means something very different about that same tweet than one that has a thousand likes and 10,000 replies <laughs> uh-huh. and like a hundred retweets right yeah that means that means that people are having more conversation about it than they are agreeing with it outright just by saying yes I like this thumbs up right which in Twitter land means like brace yourself
0: yeah there's you're, a you're dumps- underwater you are walking into a dumpster fire
1: yeah you're underwater your ratio is upside down Yeah bad. Um mm-hmm. so it's not just the pure like count it's it's a it's a formula based on other signals as well, right? Right.
0: Yes, yeah, so I think the ratio here is like another layer deeper. And then I think maybe the last thing to call is just uh, other kinds of measurements that might be publicly displayed. I think the YouTube view count is, counts. it's like non-opt-in, right? Like that count will increment just by the virtue of you clicking on the link. You don't have a choice to decide whether or not you liked it or not. You can't give it a, a affirmation. It just
1: goes it's up. It's attention, right? Attention, right. That's, that's concurrent viewers on live streams. That's, yeah. yeah, view counts. That's watch hours, whatever it happens to be. Unique impressions, etc. Yeah, page views. So those aren't a measure of
0: quality, I guess, but they're perhaps just a measure of virality. Like there's just traffic landing here, but we
1: can't necessarily say whether or not the content is high quality. There's also a ratio at play there. So for example, if you create video content and there's a number that keeps track of the number of hours that have been watched of your content and you have... Ten videos that are each ten minutes long, but you have thousands and thousands of hours. That means a lot of people are watching your videos, right? You can probably also tell that from the number of views. But yeah, even these uh, even these numbers that only go up like are part of the ratio as well.
0: Okay, so we've got some measurements here. I want to talk about the verbs that are used. Okay. 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 Yeah. So yeah. You, at the beginning, you mentioned there's up upvotes and downvotes. I said up. I know you and, said upvotes. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In proper Reddit fashion. Yes. Liking, favoriting. Reacting, mm-hmm. thumbs up, mm-hmm. thumbs down, doesn't matter. What are the words?
1: Th- does the verb here mean something? I, I think it does. Uh-huh. Right? Like I, I think <laughs> that was it a leading question. <laughs> okay, it matters yeah, a yeah. lot. Yeah, I think it really does matter. Um, the the example we were talking about before this is is uh, this is kind of a little bit morose, but like. The dead grandma problem of like, if I create a post and the only interaction method on my post is the thumbs up, but my post is about my grandma just died, like, what does that mean to to, to thumb that up? Do you know Marshall liked your dead grandma? <laughs> like, that's a terrible terrible thing. So you want to have a variety of things, like let me cry at that or let me like be sad at that thing, right? That's the that's a proper signal. And we see Facebook doing this, right? But that's a whole. Th- there are variations on a single positive signal because all of those things are generally a positive uh, sentiment right even even like the angry face it's typically used to be like I'm angry for you the poster at this thing that you're posting about right right so yeah how do you how do you split those signals up and how do you how do you represent them do you say the name of the thing under them this is another thing we were talking about do you want to go into it the like do you display a label in conjunction yes. with
0: an icon so or do you just let the glyph speak for itself Yeah, so Twitter, you see a heart icon, and they don't really use the label like. I think maybe if you had to find a list. When you go into a tweet detail, it says number, like, N likes. Yeah, and then on a profile, the tab is called likes. But Mm -hmm. when you're browsing the tweets themselves, it's just an icon, a heart Mm -hmm. that is left up to interpretation of of the viewer at that time is it something sad the heart means i'm sending love or empathy is it funny it's i thought this is funny so i'm gonna like it if i'm angry about it
1: well maybe you retweet it (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) sort of like subtweet it imagine a similar thing this is a a little bit of a tangent but imagine a chat app that only has hearting as the as the one reply method or the one reaction method like That can be a very strong signal in a one-to-one interaction of like, you know, uh, I'm I'm talking to you and you're like, oh, we should go see this movie at this particular time, right? And I heart that, like, I love this, right? That might not be the same thing. Or like, I'll see you in 10 minutes, like... I'm not gonna love that, yeah. right? You know, I love that I'm gonna see in ten minutes. Exactly. No, I, but if that was a thumbs up, like, okay, cool, right? Right. That's right. that's the right signal. So limiting and and also the context that it's in means very very different things for just a heart, right? Yeah. Um, when it's a public thing, like, oh, I like this photo. Heart is pretty innocuous, but when it comes to one on one interactions or something like that it's a little
0: a little different context yeah i like seeing the way these are also just being iterated on over time right like no it doesn't seem like anybody's quite satisfied with their mechanics here so for example facebook rebranded the like button to the reactions right like mm-hmm. there's five reactions they realized that the emotion you could feel towards a post is way more complex than a like, especially with friends and family. Right? The, mm-hmm. the dead grandma example. The grandma problem, yeah, uh, we saw Twitter evolve favorites to likes, where before favorite is positive, but maybe a little bit more neutral, like emotionally speaking, than a like. Like a favorite could. I mean, you have a favorites bar in your browser, which is right. like a bookmark. Like right. I'm not making an emotional endorsement of this, but I'm. I need. I, I'm keeping. going to save it for I'm later. Keep track of this, right? Yeah, yeah. But totally different you, connotation. If you rebrand that to like, I mean, people did freak out, right? They mm-hmm. were like, "I didn't like those things." Yeah. You're saying that I'm endorsing
1: them on some level when a favorite is, in fact, a very different use case. I was collecting them. I was bookmarking them. Yeah, Don't, isn't there a bookmark action now though on tweets? And yeah, not not they added bookmarking. Yeah, but but they transitioned from favorites to likes yes so that was the same list so anything that you favorited before as a bookmark now became a like and now you have to rebookmark all the things you favorited that are now likes exactly yeah that's the that's the tough part too of like if you decide midstream that like this is the wrong verb this is the wrong glyph this is the wrong sentiment how do you handle the handoff from one to the next, right? Yeah, it's really hard to change these things after the fact. Mm -hmm. Like those
0: initial decisions will perpetuate forever. Which gets you into tricky territory if you make those decisions early on in a product's life cycle and then your product goes on to other uh, locales, different Mm -hmm. languages. Much larger scales, how do you translate the emotion of liking something to every language? How do you translate a thumbs up to every language? Mm-hmm. Like hand gestures mean <laughs> different things in different Ooh cultures. Boy, do they. Colors
1: mean different things. Colors mean different things. So
0: yeah, how how do you even think about the internationalization? Which I think is why we generally see the move away from labels as Uh, next to the input mechanic it's mostly just iconography emotion or yeah in facebook's case like heavily animated highly produced emotional emoji right yeah not even flat emoji like they want to convey something richer there because that feels more universal than a label like or favorite or
1: you know it's hard to mistake an angry face yeah right
0: yeah so let's bring all, okay, so we've listed out a ton of stuff. Let's bring this back to like <laughs> what- Have we said anything yet? We're just like l- l-
1: listing things.
0: We're listing things that maybe hopefully some folks are curious about. Let's talk about how we should be employing these as product designers. Okay. These are the tools at our disposal. Should we be surfacing them at a public level? So let's bring it back to the Instagram mm-hmm. hiding likes. Mm-hmm. I think that there is a trade off in what's good for the business, Mm -hmm. what's good for its users, and what's good for, well, we'll say good for viewers, Mm -hmm. and then also what's good for creators. Mm -hmm. And viewers and creators can overlap, obviously. Sure. What's your opinion, or, or how do you think about drawing a line of, the numbers and things that we've created to track engagement are no longer healthy or relevant and we should be hiding them. Yeah,
1: I mean, so you mentioned a trade-off and, and yeah, I think this is a, a delicate balance, right? And I'm I'm probably not the perfect person to talk about this. I'm just a designer. But when, when I do think about these things, I, I typically, as a user experience designer, I, I usually think about people first, right? And typically my mind... Goes towards the creator, right? Because because without the creator, there is no content for viewers to pay attention to. So like it all, it all comes down to that. And if I'm going to consider the creator in any of these things, I'm just going to be thinking about their well being, right? And and their ability to build their own business on my platform. So you would prioritize the creator over the viewer in I in think any so. scenario. Okay. Yes, yeah. The the creator's ability to know enough to grow their business and grow their account, their channel, whatever it happens to be, but also not overload them with things that are just going to cause anxiety, right? So if there's any withholding of information, it would have to be for the creator's benefit, right? And typically, when you see something like this, so for example, with, with Instagram, uh, taking away the, the like count, they're taking it away from viewers, but they're not taking it away from creators. And I, I wonder, as we were talking about this, I, I started thinking about, can you imagine a situation where you would have a user input that is visible only to the business, not to the creator or to the viewer, right? Because there are things that the business needs to know from a metric standpoint about you know, how they do their business that isn't necessarily applicable to viewers and to creators, and and having that information is important for, for creating new features and moving stuff around and making things better, et cetera. Can you think of an example of when that's ever happened? An example of when a metric's good for the business but not good for the creator or for the viewer. It's one of these things I was thinking about because we're like one step away from that. Is that also a valuable option? I guess is the kind of the way I'm thinking about this. Like, what are, what are our options as designers, as as you know, product creators? Like, what's our arsenal? And if yeah. this is on the table, like maybe there are circumstances that that's useful. And I, I don't have any answers here necessarily, but hopefully this sparks in the mind of a listener who might be thinking about these problems in their own day-to-day job maybe that's something that's valuable
0: it seems useful to split this up into these verticals i I, it could be wrong here of course but it seems useful to all be wrong (laughs) yeah like but let's talk about what do viewers need to make informed decisions about how to best spend their time Mm -hmm. and for them i think you could use heuristics that are perhaps more neutral like views downloads time spent is probably a little bit different like the the content of the thing was more engaging and couldn't necessarily or couldn't easily be as easily gamed as like sending a reddit mob to go downvote something that feels a little bit more neutral from the viewer perspective but then of course we're living in the age of algorithms and i think you can do a lot just behind the scenes exactly there's engagement there's graphs of related content and related creators and those kinds of things can probably surface not even necessarily popular content but just things that feel more appropriate or relevant Mm -hmm. and whether or not you know the the like count or the view count or the impression count is irrelevant
1: if the relevance is
0: that is relevant if if the the relevance of the the content is good yeah
1: if the trust in the algorithm is sufficiently high then you don't need those signals but even then, like, it feels good as a viewer to know to have a gut check of like, well, this is being recommended to me by the algorithm. What's the count? You know, what, what are the other signals? Like, is this a a length that I'm interested in of an article that I'm interested in reading or a video that I'm interested in watching? Is this has been this been liked by people that I know, right? Those other signals, even if, this is for sure the perfect piece of content for me to watch suggested by the algorithm. I still want those gut checks going into it that like, yes, I've opted into this with, with confidence, right? Yeah. Okay. So that's a viewer. Many of those things could be compatible, but many seem incompatible with
0: what's good for the creator. Yes. So from the creator's point of view, You want to know if you're creating good things, if Mm -hmm. people are resonating with it, if people are seeing it. Like, it's useful to know if somebody ever even saw it. Like, is the algorithm prioritizing you in any way Mm -hmm. or not? So, having like counts, dislike counts, view counts. In fact, it almost seems like you want as much metrics as you can but then you cross over into this world where you're so metrics driven that it can detract from the art or from the original intent of the creator Mm -hmm. i think when we had our episode with pablo he mentioned an example where if a particular tweet of yours goes viral it can send really negative it it can rewire your brain to prioritize tweeting like that even Mm -hmm. if it's maybe not really you like maybe that was just a hot take, but now you've been reprogrammed to think that hot takes are what people expect of you, mm-hmm. and I think that's the path towards just internal
1: chaos and anxiety. Well, that's a it's a very it's a very human thing to uh-huh. do. It's yeah. a, like this is what every positive reinforcement. <laughs> well, this, well, this is what every toddler learns. Like you learn this as a young young child. You do you make a funny noise or a funny face, and mommy and daddy laugh. And guess what? You're gonna do that same thing over and over and over again until it stops getting the reaction that you got that first time. So I'm not surprised that this is a human behavior, but is it healthy? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Should we be encouraging it? Should we be discouraging it as designers? Yeah. Well, if I'm going to answer my own question, I guess, I think uh, we should probably be discouraging min-maxing, that's a video game term, but like paying such close attention to the numbers that it becomes like more of a numbers game than it is like the reason you probably got into it in the first place, which is to pursue a passion for doing something that you love, right? And as soon as it becomes that much of a a brain drain or that much of a front of mind topic that you're thinking about the numbers it's a lot more likely that a drop in those numbers will have a significant impact on your happiness and well-being, right? And so it all comes back to the human thing for me.
0: Yeah, I liked this idea of having it be possible for negative signal to come in through content, like a downvote or thumbs down or like a flag maybe, but not necessarily ever show that to the creator. Like the business can almost be this helpful mediator That says, look, we're going to show you positive numbers. We want you to know that people are watching or engaging or enjoying. Mm -hmm. But we also have this secret thing in our brain, which is a subset of your people hate what you make or they dislike it or they're reporting it. And that is going to sort of fuel the algorithm that decides how we promote you. And I think one could say that black box is terrifying because it puts (laughs) so much Power to the business, but that's where we are today, everybody. But that could be a way to think about this. Like, we still collect negative signals, but
1: we don't necessarily shove it in the creator's face. Yes. <laughs> and I, th- I think there can be an assumption of negativity where there is a lack of positivity, right? But that's different than the presence of negativity, right? If I tweet something and it doesn't get a bunch of likes, that's different than tweeting something and getting a bunch of hateful replies yeah right that's true all
0: right so i want to talk about one last mechanic which i think is kind of the promised land maybe that is also really hard because it just humans are are challenging and it's this idea of reputation yes and i think lots of community platforms try and think of reputation reddit has a karma system Mm -hmm. and i think the idea is can we evaluate a lot a lot of social signals time spent engaging with others are you providing value in some way are you not only creating but are you like supporting other creators Mm -hmm. and how all this could come together into like one reputation score number yeah yeah and how do you do that in a way that doesn't disadvantage newcomers to the platform Mm -hmm. and doesn't over advantage Advantage. people who have been there for a long time Yeah,
1: yeah yeah i was gonna say over advantage people who create brand new accounts right yeah you have to strike that balance but yeah also people been there forever sure sure and I think the reputation
0: part is interesting because it's not necessary. I don't, I think you can remove yourself from the hard metrics. I think you could think more about the idea of helpful or informative and ascribe something a little bit more descriptive to content than good, bad, like, dislike. I think Facebook kind of got towards this with the reactions where this is
1: funny it's sad it made me angry or i'm angry on behalf of you another thing i was thinking about as as we're listing these things out is stack overflow or quora yeah those types of things where like the upvotes go to the replies not to the original poster right right and by having a good reply you build up your reputation of being a good replier and they have a really deep badge
0: system where it's like there's milestones for providing value back to the community. You answer 10 questions or 10 questions you answered were the the top answer, like all sorts of variants of that across all different scales. And you get people that spend a lot of time thinking about how can I provide as much value as possible so that I get these badges and the, the higher coin count and stuff like that. Quora, you want to be the most viewed answerer. you want to have the most resolved, like top rated responses solved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually like those incentive systems a lot. And I think they are generally successful. Yet somehow we've landed in a world where Stack Overflow is a toxic community for many. Uh, and, is it? I don't know. I just and, go there when I don't know how to code something. And, well, and Quora is plagued with spam and plagued with just SEO bait of, um. what is the best product to do X? And then the founder of that product will probably, well, here's our product, Why that um. you know, solves that here's a nice, fat, juicy link. Or what are alternatives to product X? And you get all the replies from founders. So I don't know. It devolves quickly,
1: which sucks. It's a cat and mouse game here, right? Yes, this whole thing is a balance. And I don't think we have answers, but having the questions is a good start, I guess. And and arming you with the questions is important. All right, so (laughs) it's clear this is complicated.
0: uh, You and I will not have all the answers here. But I think the goal of this conversation, the reason Marsh and I wanted to talk about this, the Instagram hiding their light, it sort of prompted this discussion of what can we as product designers be doing and thinking about and the kinds of conversations we should be having around social validation, the human side of this problem for creators of making people know that they're providing value without making them anxious of just downvotes and shit (laughs) and hopefully we've laid out some different ways of doing that there's different ways we can think about quality and popularity that are more than just a label more than just an icon Uh, i think it's fascinating to see how different products approach this differently so hopefully uh, you have some areas to go look at and study and then of course watching those products evolve their decisions over time the like button to the the reactions uh, hiding like buttons, favorites to 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 likes, mm-hmm. all these kinds of decisions I think are fascinating,
1: especially because the internet is changing as we go. Like, it's still so nascent, right? Like, yeah. it's still so young. We're just figuring this stuff out, but the risk is very, very high. Like, we're playing with fire here. So, like, let's be very, very careful about how we make these decisions because the scale that a lot of these companies are operating at is is enormous, right? Right. Right.
0: We hope you enjoyed this brain dump. Yes, I, I think that's the only way to categorize this, Brian. But there's no answers here. So let us know what you think. What did we miss? What are other ways that you found in your products or in what you're designing to help people understand what content is good, what they should be spending time on? And what are the Striking trade-offs? The balance, yeah. the trade-offs that you've had to make. I think this is uh,
1: fascinating because it is a trade-off, right? Like, and it's Absolutely. So, Life's, it's, my mom used to say, and she still says, Life's full of trade-offs, Marshall. <laughs> wow, wise woman. And, you know, it's it's a simple saying, but it's fucking true in yeah. every aspect of life. So this is one of them. I guess my gut, like just to, to wrap this up, is it's so easy to reach
0: for the existing patterns because the successful companies have this pattern today. Mm-hmm. But watching them evolve that just says to me that there's a lot more that we should be doing on earlier products to think about this initial decision. Like don't just reach for a like button. Actually, just one last example to call out here. I think the Basecamp Kudo is an interesting pattern here. So in Basecamp, it's like a team collaboration tool, and you can create posts. And they had a like button, and it was just a count of things. Okay. But they changed it to a feature called Kudos, where it's basically a text input where you can type a few characters, like a very, very short message. And it's like a few emojis or say Nice. And it's not long enough to give a comment or critique or feedback, and so you just have a, a little bit of a decision to add some fidelity to it. Like, nice, cool, great. Mm-hmm. It's not a raw count. It feels a little bit
1: more like there's investment in it. <sighs> yeah, there, there's still ways to abuse that, right? Like, well, kys, right? Yeah, like that's only three characters. I can I can tell you to kill yourself in just three characters. <laughs> yeah terrible yeah how easily that pattern could get abused externally free form text input for users bad idea <laughs> anytime there's a text input like your yeah, privacy trust and safety Yeah, everything everything has become scary which is often like our, we've circled background to why a
0: button or an icon is so easy to lean on because you can avoid a lot of that right mm-hmm. at the potential expense of your creators all right let us know what you thought what did we miss hope this was useful or thought-provoking in some way Well, let's jump into cool things and wrap up.
1: Let's get it. Cool. All right. Since you're a guest in my home, Brian, uh, I'll let you go first. All right. My cool thing this week is a Figma plugin, which is,
0: ah, it's so cool. Uh, It's called Vectory 3D. Okay. And it is bridging the gap of 3D and 2D design. Inside Figma. Inside of Figma. Kind of. So here's how it works. Okay, Vectory is an application that I've never used before, but it's a way to like model 3D objects, and you can like place images on top of them, and like shape things yourself. But they have a plugin that opens an interface where you can choose from pre-created 3D models. So imagine like a phone or a laptop
1: or a television Teapot. or a can, right? I said teapot. That was a 3D Studio Max joke and a okay. Maya joke. Okay. For, for those of you, like the four listeners who know what 3D Studio Max and Maya are, they get the teapot joke. All right, continue. Okay. So you can choose one of
0: those and then you just select a frame in your canvas and you can apply that frame to the 3D model. So imagine you're designing for a phone screen. You select the phone 3D model, select your screen, say apply to the model. Now here's a cool part. You can drag, click and drag your cursor on the 3D model to spin it orbit Ch- orbit change the angle there's like some ambient lighting so it's casting shadow and you get it positioned just how you want like maybe for a marketing page you want that like off angle nice soft shadow yeah, yeah. and then from that you can place an image like it captures an, a snapshot of that 3d model with your design on top of it. it captures a snapshot puts it back into figma at a high resolution got it it's cool that's okay. like two clicks to get a device mock up with your UI in it into Figma you don't have to have all these like hardware comps and like all the other separate tools for 3D it's like all integrated puts out a snapshot which is what you want high resolution anyways it's really cool i had fun playing with it i have a couple complaints with uh how harsh some of the lighting is like on the iphone mock it it casts a pretty harsh glare on the screen Mm. so it can wash out some low contrast screens like a a background wash with a white card or something you can lose the contrast but if they keep iterating on this it will get better they have a lot of other objects that they support out of the gate so you should check it out that's
1: awesome i'll have to check that out yeah for all my iphone apps i make <laughs> yeah 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 <laughs> actually i'm making an iphone app right now I know. <laughs> yeah maybe, okay i have to check that out i've been using figma a lot more lately mm-hmm. getting in on the plugins yeah oh yeah I, i've been browsing that plugin store buddy cool well cool thing brian i'll have to check that out cool hit me with yours okay so my cool thing for this week brian and i've i've infested you with it i've infected Ooh. infected you Ooh. uh-huh That's the right word in the new game I've been playing that is not new at all. It's been out for years and years, but Hollow Knight, this is a very hard game. It might be the hardest game I've ever played. I'm not usually I'm not usually a competition or like, you know, I'm not I'm not trying to play hardcore games very much. I'm more of a story kind of guy, you know but the thing that drew me into this game is the story so uh, if you've ever heard of dark souls this is that style of game where the the risk of death is very high and the the price for dying is very very high so it's very punishing but the world is beautiful it's made by two people essentially two two guys and then another person who did the sound the 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 score which is also gorgeous but the entire game is outstanding i want to talk about uh ux in this game real quick so the lore is very cool the game is beautiful it's very fun to play it's very hard made by a very small team an amazing achievement. Let's talk about UX and games real quick. Okay, and, and I was pointing this out to you. We watched a speed run last night so you could kind of get an idea of the game in like 30 minutes. And when you start off the game, you only have two abilities. You can jump and you can swipe your sword. And those are the only two buttons that really work. And you can move around left and right. So there's only one way to go, which is right. Actually, I think if you go left at the very beginning of the game, there's like some geo you can get, some money that you can oh, get. Okay. They They hide it. Anyways, spoiler. Yes. Sorry. I love it when they do that. Like reward me for exploring. And and this whole game is about exploration. So you move to the right, left to right. It's a side scroller, just like every other side scroll you've seen, Mario, etc. And then you hit a door. The only thing you can do to the door is swipe it with your sword. And then you walk down a little hallway a little bit further, and there's another door. So you swipe it with your sword, and you walk down another little hallway and another door, and you swipe it with your sword. And then you come into a room with a little bad guy, kind of like a mushroom and, and uh, or a Goomba and uh, Mario. And what do you do? You swipe it with your sword. The game has like taught you this is how you you know the, it's these learning are the tools available <laughs> yeah. to you, right? And then in the next room, it's the same thing. You walk in, but there's a little pit that you have to jump out of, but it's not super deep or anything. You just have to like hit the button once because the longer you hold the jump button, the higher you jump, right, to to a max. So now you're confronted with go through the door, get through this pit, also attack the enemy, and then another door. And then it confronts you with a jumping puzzle. You have to jump up a series of platforms. So in order to progress, you have to figure out, oh, when I hold the jump button longer, I can jump higher, et cetera. So it's very clear, but there's not a single button prompt on the entire thing. Maybe it says what buttons are jump and what button is uh, swipe, but otherwise, like it doesn't say press this button to open the door, press this button to kill an enemy. It's like you got to figure that stuff out, but it gives it to you in the right cadence at the right time and the in the right uh, quantity. Um, that by the time you see another enemy, you're you're familiar with what's happened here, but you've had to approach it in a very like sandbox area where like it's kind of hard to mess it up and you're primed for it it's just so good anyways hollow knight i've been playing it a lot on the nintendo switch it's very good i mean this is exactly what we were talking about last week
0: on onboarding right is yeah, yeah this idea of progressive feature disclosure like imagine if on they put you into the world and the first thing they made you do is swipe through a bunch of dialogues that say you will be able to do a double jump you will be able to wall grab later you will be able to do this and this and this But first, Mm -hmm. start running and swiping. That's so much less satisfying. You will never remember it. It's a waste of your time. Yeah. Progressive
1: feature disclosure. Don't tell me. Let me figure it out. (laughs) Like, teach me through, like, the environment, and I I will remember it forever. You tell me once in a dialogue, I'll forget it immediately. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool things. A game... And the plug-in. There you go. That's pretty much par for the course for us, right? There we go. All right. Uh,
0: we hope you enjoyed the show. This has been episode 323. Let us know what you thought. We're on Twitter, at Design FM. Tweet us. Tweet us. Let us know what we missed on the uh, social proof, like popularity conversation. Of course, if you're enjoying the show, whether you've been listening for a while or if this is your first time, uh, we are making the move. We want this to be a listener-supported show. We want everyone that's listening on board and our patreon is now as simple as it can get a uh, dollar or more a month gets you a personalized feed for the podcast where you will have sponsor free episodes and you will also have access to all bonus episodes that we produce in the past and, and going forward if you have already subscribed make sure that when you're listening to the show you see the blue design details artwork that's how you know you're on the patron feed fancy pants if you're still seeing the green feed love you but you're not a patron <laughs> um so a dollar more a month gets you that we really appreciate your support it helps offset the cost of producing the show every week so thank you everyone who's joined us so far. And if you haven't, go to patreon.com slash design details. Your support means the world. And uh, hopefully we can continue building that community of, of patrons for, for our bonus land episodes. And
1: yeah, if, you've, if you notice the, the new name of our of our one tier that we have for viewers is a uh, very important pixel, which makes you a VIP. A
0: VIP. <laughs> if you need more podcasts, go to spec.fm. We're part of a broader podcast network making shows for designers and developers just like you. That's at spec.fm. Go check out Layout by our friends Kevin and Rafa. They had a great episode last week talking about GitHub for mobile. (laughs) Yeah, about your thing. Uh, They talked about Figma and and its UI quirks. It was a fun conversation. So go check that out and the other shows at spec.fm. Thank you to Sarah and Drew, our editor and producer, for making this show possible. They put this together every week. Make us sound smarter than we are. Make us sound smarter than we are. (laughs) Thank you, Sarah and Drew. And yeah, thank you again, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next week.
1: Aloha.